from all of us at NRPR Group, welcome to Perfect Pitch. I'm your host, Nicole Rodriguez, the CEO and founder of NRPR Group. Here on Perfect Pitch, I interview top members of the media to discuss the tips, tricks, and tactics that PR pros and executives need to perfect their pitch and close really great stories. Welcome to Perfect Pitch. I'm your host, Nicole Rodriguez, also CEO and founder of NRPR Group. As most of you know, if you've already watched a couple of the episodes or listened from wherever you're listening to podcasts, I love interviewing amazing members of the media so that we can discuss best practices, give them the opportunity to share their stories about how they got into journalism and their respective roles and what makes a great story for them. Today, I am joined by a dear friend whom I now consider family. He knows so much about me. (laughs) Um, Jonathan Small, who I will throw it out there, is also the amazing co-ghostwriter with me for my book, Beverly Hills Boss. So Jonathan, I wasn't right going to reveal. Is, I wasn't going to reveal it, but I'm now that you have, I'll take. Yeah, I, I you did all the work. I was just the conduit who wrote it down and oh, recorded goodness. the conversations. You were basically like that icing on the cake and the sprinkles <laughs> to just put it all together and make it. Actually, I take that back, Jonathan. I would say more of like when it got to taking the meat of it, you baked it and made it beautiful. And then all I had to do was go in and add any finishing touches, details, layers, things like that. But you are an amazing human being. And I don't think that my book would have, I would be as proud of it if it wasn't for you. You really did help it come together. So I I will um, accept that compliment, but thank you. But of course, I have to say that you have a great story and that made it a lot easier. I just had to basically sit back and ask you the right questions. And then you uh, you revealed your story and you were very honest. As a ghostwriter, that's all you hope for is that, you're, is that the person you're working with has great stories, that they're not a pain in the ass to work with and that they are honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that they like matcha green teas. Yes, we had many Mandatory a matcha green tea. Um, yep, <laughs> it's very, very important. We would always order each other a matcha yes. green teas and just sit and chat. It's true. I do know a lot Good about chat. you, but it's a great story. Yeah, definitely. Well, and for those of you who did read Beverly Hills Boss, the very first one, hopefully uh, mid to late 2022, the goal is to write book number two. So you'll see the Jonathan just giving you a warning that I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited. My schedule for 2022. Yes, I'm ready. Yes, ready. It'll be it'll It'll be be awesome. Jonathan, really quickly, I want to make sure that we give everyone a little bit of a taste of your background before we start getting into questions. So. Jonathan is editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, a cannabis-focused website and magazine from Entrepreneur Media, the same people who do Entrepreneur Magazine, for those of you guys who are fans. He's also an award-winning journalist, producer, and host of the Green Entrepreneur podcast. I had to throw that in there. I love it. And the Write About Now podcast, where he interviews successful writers You have worked and have had editing positions at Glamour, Stuff Magazine, Fitness, Twist Magazine. Your stories have appeared in Entrepreneur, clearly. The New York Times, TV Guide, Cosmo. Dude, you're like 
You're an amazing journalist, and I am so honored. You're also a, don't you produce a SAG after podcast as well? Yeah, I have a, so, a, a, a little side hustle, which has become, we'll talk about that. Yeah, produce podcasts. Yes. I've had, one thing and I want to talk about. Strike Fire Productions. Yeah, yes, which is helping to power this podcast. Yes, we have everything. Love. Um, oh, my goodness. But, I'm excited. So welcome to the show. Well, I'm so thrilled to be here, and you are also one of my favorite people. I just love talking to you and I am a big fan of yours and admirer of all you've done in your life and with your career. It's really impressive. Oh, Jonathan, thank you. Like, like I said, I consider you family now, you For know, sure. and uh, I sure. miss our Sundays and this COVID, COVID is craziness. Us. COVID and killed us. It really yeah. is. I can't wait to get back to more human interaction. I wonder what that's going to look like. I would say like after June, it's like, what is that going to look like with, I know. with people? I think everybody and, thinks it's you know. going to go back to what it was, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be like a no. hybrid version, hybrid, a real hybrid sort of life. And I think we've learned a lot of things, good and bad, from this pandemic and from being quarantined. And certainly, like, are people going to really go back to offices anymore full time? And the way work is done, all these traveling to all these different conferences, is that really going to be necessary anymore? It's going to be really interesting to see. What, I mean, in some yeah. ways, I'm trying to see light at the end of the tunnel. I'm I think maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we were too busy. <laughs> maybe this. I is agree. The crazy thing, though, is being at home. I feel like I'm doing more work because I, I know it's harder to separate. So really although is. I will, yeah, I I don't think NRPR is ever going to go back to our offices full time. We are stuck in a lease, so we're one of those who's still paying rent, even though we're not there in person, which is awful. But I do, you know, on the other side of it, those people who own the buildings and and it's not like they planned for a pandemic. And I, to be fair, never wanted to be that person who yeah. just kind of up and left because that did happen just to our landlord in a couple of situations. And they're in the middle of things like lawsuits. And that's the last thing I want. I would much rather see my lease through and have that be done, but I don't see us going back full time. The team is just really cranking from home. And in fact, I feel like I've gotten a lot more work done. I know. I hate to say it, but I mean, I was, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I was freelancing. I freelanced a lot in my career. I wasn't when the pandemic hit, I had a, I actually had an office job and was going to my WeWork space, which was kind of like not really an office, but I guess it's technically Mm -hmm. considered an office. But I had had this all this experience freelancing and working from home and, and always had this same realization that I think everybody's having now is that I was working twice as hard working for myself because there was never a time off. I was working all through the weekends. I was always putting pressure on myself that I should be doing more. And there just wasn't that natural rhythm of like going into an office, doing your job and then going home, you know. At one point, somebody advised me to get a clock to punch in, like to actually like buy a clock so that when I came to work in the morning at my desk at home, I would just go and put my little card in the clock. And then, you know, so it like I felt like I was actually like going to a like a nine to five job. I never did that, but I thought that was a funny idea. So like checking in and checking out to kind of mentally give myself this note, like you are not working anymore. So yeah, yeah. people are learning how to like do the new thing. And, and people, unfortunately, people are going to be working a little bit harder. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, and people know that you're at home. So it's almost like, well, you can do this, right? Because you're not going no anywhere. Excuse. I think yeah, maybe you can't is, be like, yeah, yeah, I can't be like, oh, I'm doing, I'm going out. Well, no, you're not because COVID. So <laughs> 
Yeah. Damn you, COVID. I, really, I know, I know. I want to get into a little bit about your career path, Jonathan. You have written for so many great publications. And I think with the whole introduction of citizen journalism and bloggers and all of that stuff, and I don't discount the hard work that they put in to their jobs, but back in the day, you know, when mm-hmm. we were faxing press releases to newsrooms, just kidding, but I do remember a time when bloggers were just getting started and getting a piece in the New York Times or somewhere was like, it's still very much the thing, but in Entrepreneur Magazine and what have you, I just feel like the media has evolved so much and people, there are all of these blurred lines between, well, what is a source that is trusted? What is a source that is not? And, oh, just because mm. I read it on this blog, does it mean that it's true? So you've worked at so many and worked with so many like traditional media outlets. I just have so much respect for the systems that they put in place, you know, and I think that's why space in those outlets is so coveted. So, you know, walk us through a little bit of when you got started and how you were getting stories published versus now your editor in chief and what's the new process, right? Like right. old versus new. What does that yeah, look like? I mean, I've definitely been around. I mean, you know, back when they had just invented the printing presses when I started and it was a really great time. Now I came up in the nineties which was sort of like the golden era of magazine publishing. And I try to explain this to my kids and to Gen Zers. The sort of coveted job, at least when I lived in New York, was to work at a magazine. It was like maybe the equivalent of being a YouTube star or like a TikTok star. It was just like people wanted to be in the magazine business. It was very quote unquote glamorous. And that's not really why I got into it. I got into it because I actually got a a temp job as a receptionist at a magazine and they ended up hiring me at that magazine. And that's how I got into magazines. It wasn't even like a goal of mine to be a magazine writer, but I ended up really liking it. So back in those days, we had huge staffs of like 100, 150 people. You know, when I worked at Glamour, I mean, there was like 150 people on staff. I was the only guy, (laughs) but which was a great job. I love that job. And it was like a machine cut to now and it's interesting. I almost feel like, you know, I was in this world of magazines and I kind of got out of it and we'll talk about that. And then I kind of went back into it to see how much it changed in the time I was away from it. And then when I came back into it, like that staff of Glamour, there's probably like four people on staff now, or maybe five people on staff. It's completely downsized. It's a tiny little operation now, you know, and I don't know if we were just totally bloated back in the old days or, or whether like they're just make working us to the bone now. Like, I don't know which system was made more sense, but I know that the systems have completely changed. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that I was sort of in magazines during the heyday. It was a fun time and it was a really interesting, fun time to be in it. I'm kind of glad that I got out when I did. Again, I'd love to say that I was like, I saw it coming. And, but no, I just, as a person who was always kind of like making sure that I was working and feeding my family, I kind of, at various times of my career, I, I had to pivot and change track a little bit. So, you know, I started off in 90s in magazines. Like you mentioned, I worked at Glamour Magazine. I worked at this magazine called Stuff, which was for guys. And I worked at Child Magazine. I I worked at a lot of different magazines and always was freelancing on the side, writing to make some extra money. And then when I moved to Los Angeles in the mid-2000s, that industry was just gone. Like magazines were around, but they weren't really paying like they used to. And there was just, you know, there wasn't a lot to do. And I found myself getting into digital media And I worked at a company called Break Media, which was like the new kind of thing that was happening. And that was a company that was making blogs and they were making funny videos. And this was pre-YouTube, right? So 
they were very first, sort of the first to get into the video space. And I learned all about that industry. And I started, I became head of video production. I mean, what do I know about video? But I, you know, what I just, it was just what I did. It was where the market needed me. And so I taught myself how to do video and thought I was going to be a video guy for the rest of my life. And suddenly found myself working ultimately in this video thing, working for the game show network, making videos for their YouTube channel and and running their digital video department and their digital department. And now that industry is sort of going away, which is hard to believe. You know, there was people make their own videos now and they don't need big production companies like that. And and they weren't able to monetize that. So then I got into that right went right back into publishing. <laughs> um, somebody hired me to work at Green Entrepreneur, like you mentioned, and I and I run that editorial department. And that is basically a much more downsized version now of a magazine. It's a print magazine that comes out four times a year. It's a website that has, you know, at least six or seven stories on the website every day. And we cover the cannabis industry, an industry that I knew absolutely nothing about before I started working there. Um, and now know way too much about and had no idea that someday I'd be working for a cannabis magazine. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, as you said, as a journalist and somebody who's always kind of looking for the next thing, I didn't think that was going to be enough to just work at Green Entrepreneur. And my own personal, just as a personal passion project, I started a podcast and it's called Write About Now. It's just my own podcast. I interview famous writers about their books, about their lives, about their trials and tribulations, what they've learned. And I just loved podcasting. And I taught myself everything there was to know about podcasting and then realized that some of my friends were interested in podcasting themselves. And so I helped them set up their podcasts. And then I realized that some companies needed help. So I started, like, my first client as a podcaster was the SAG after a union. I had known somebody who they wanted to do a podcast. I said, can you help us produce that? I said, sure. Like pretended like I knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, you know? <laughs> and it just escalated and escalated to the point where now I have this business on the side. And I keep saying it's a side hustle, but I feel like that's kind of minimizing it because it takes up a lot of my time, uh, most of my time, called Strike Fire Productions, where I make, I help people make their podcasts and I help produce podcasts for them. My company helps. So it's kind of the next generation. I started off as a journalist in print. Now I am a journalist, producer in podcasting, which I think is the next sort of new big thing. Who knows what I'll be in 10 years? It's probably going to be some other new thing that I don't even know it's coming down the pike. But I mean, the advice I always give to people is just be nimble, be able to pivot, don't get stuck in one thing. I have too many friends who are still working at magazines, you know, from the 90s and then get really bummed that they get fired when, you know, everybody saw that coming. So that's kind of my world. I love it. And I love just how like nimble, is it nimble or agile? Which of the two? I don't know. I'm nimble like a fox. I don't know, whatever. Right? It, it's, like, me, it's like, boom, boom, boom. You gotta, Here I'm, I'm sitting, I'm a receptionist, and now I'm a writer, and now I'm a podcaster, and now I'm a this. And it's just, it's you're rolling with the punches, and I love it. I'd like to say that it has to do with my own kind of inner strength, but I think a lot of it is just survival. I'm just not going to let the world push me down. I've got to, you know, keep everybody happy and working. And I mean, look, the way we met is I was doing ghostwriting for a while. Yeah. And that was a great way, another side kind of thing that I was doing that was a great source of of income, but also just like doing what I love to do, which is to write and to edit. So, you know, I think even when the chips are down for people and their businesses, you know, start crumbling, I think there's always, you know, alternative things they can find. You just have to be creative about it. Totally. And really follow 
your own skills. Like, Mm -hmm. think about it. You are an incredible writer and I am blessed to have had your time for book one and blessed and excited about book two. It's your skill. It's where you're damn good at it. And I think that people forget when they get into certain jobs or roles, you're doing that thing for so long that it becomes definitive. Like, okay, well, this is who I am. This is what I do. And then they forget no, your skills go much deeper than that. Yeah, and, that's and such a good point. how do you use those? Yeah, I think you know? sometimes when people think about breaking out of what they're doing, they they think of like, they don't realize that they can take their skills into another business. They have these skills. I mean, we talk about this actually a lot in cannabis because there's a new industry. A lot of people want to get into that industry because it's you know an industry that is kind of a vibrant industry right now. And a lot of people are getting making a lot of success, although it's a little overblown, by the way, how much success people are having. So I don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate that myth. It's not that easy to make money in that business. But the point that I make a lot with people that I talk to in that business is like, well, don't start from scratch. Like if you're an accountant or you've done stuff, you know, in law or whatever, like take those skills over to cannabis. You probably have some skill that you've done that that industry needs. It could be anything, graphic design, you know, whatever it is, like I would, yeah, I would always like, rather than start from the ground zero, I would take what you're good at and just parlay it to a different industry or platform. Absolutely. I mean, and look at it now. I mean, cannabis wasn't really an industry when I graduated college. I'll tell you that, you know, (laughs) it's certainly not a legal one. Yeah. It was probably, it was probably an industry. It just, there was thieves running it and and it was an illicit industry for sure. Exactly. And now you have actual marketing companies, PR companies who say, well, you know, we specialize in this as an industry. So again, it's just an example of taking that skill set and applying it to what's new and what's coming. And, uh, you know, right now, big things like, you know, blockchain, NFTs, these are all new things, you know, and so um, hard to keep so up with all the new things. Attention. Yeah. I know. I mean, NFT, really? I was just listening to a podcast about NFTs yesterday. I'm like, maybe I should do an NFT of a podcast. Like NFT, I don't even understand. I mean, it's so hard to, I think that overwhelms people and it does overwhelm me too, just to keep up with all the newest sure. things. But I feel like when you force it, it usually doesn't work out. It has to be a little bit organic. You know, yeah. podcasting wasn't something that I just decided like tomorrow I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to run a podcast company. It was a, definitely a process of learning how to do it. Where am I comfortable? Who can I work with? You know, I think it's a bit of a process. Give yourself a little bit of a break. And speaking of that, I mean, so many people want to get into it, right? So for those of you who are listening who... I would say now that podcasting has been around, I think there are right and wrong ways to do it. For sure. You know, you get it to a point to where it's like, you can tell like, okay, amateur hour, no one's going to come in and look at that or listen to that. If you want guests on your show, people like me talking to my clients, they're looking and they're judging. It's just a human thing. If they're looking at a podcast and the branding isn't there, or they're listening and the sound quality is just really poor, or there isn't any sort of following or, and not necessarily that it has to have a major following, but it has some sort of uniformity around it. Or these guests are going to say, well, no, that's not on brand for me, right? This isn't going to be on brand for me. So I think there is a right and a wrong way now. And I think, you know, you really want to have a podcast. These are the parameters that you should be working within and thinking about. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's the same advice I give sometimes to people who say they want to write a book. And I was like, well, first you have to read a book. (laughs) <laughs> or at least read the book that you want to write, you know, read from that genre. It's interesting how many people want to start podcasts. And I say, oh, really? Do you like podcasts? Well, I, I don't really listen to them, but I hear, you know, 
you can't really make a podcast unless you know what a podcast is. Like, it seems so obvious. But again, I tell people this all the time. You can't be a writer unless you write. You can't really be a podcast or you can't be a writer unless you read. And you really can't be a podcaster unless you listen to podcasts. You just have to kind of know what the medium is, how it works. You should listen to some of your favorite podcasts. And kind of that's how I learned is to see what people are doing. And then kind of, you know, in the beginning, basically just like copy what they're doing until you find your own thing. There's a lot of ways now to do podcasts inexpensively. You know, a basic setup for a podcast can be, you know, $200. I mean, you can just get a nice mic and plug it into your computer and and do that at a certain level. You know, like you, you might want to work more with a professional podcasting production company. And I'm certainly happy to talk to you, strikefireproductions.com. For for those who, yeah, but for a little plug, but for those who are... But for those who are really just starting, I just experiment on your own for a little while. You know, there's a lot of podcasts about how to start a podcast. There's like podcasting 101 podcasts. I listened to those when I was first starting because it's really helpful. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on like taking courses or whatever. Just do your own thing. Maybe interview some friends at first if you want to do an interview show. But just do your own thing. Record some stuff. You know, take a little while before you release it because... Once you release it, it's really out there and it's you can't take it back. So I would, you know, record and kind of have an idea. You know, one of the great things about you that you understood right away about podcasting is that the best podcasts are generally kind of focused on like one topic or one sort of theme. And it's hard to have like a, a general podcast. If you're not a very famous person, like a Joe Rogan, who is just, you know, kind of a famous guy and he talks to his guess about everything, right? Like he'll have like Elon Musk on one day and then he'll have like some cannabis expert. Like he's all over the place. Everybody wants to be Joe Rogan. I want to be Joe Rogan, but you can't, or not everybody wants to be Joe Rogan, but they want to have his kind of success and they want to be able to just go and talk to everybody about every topic. If that's harder to, to make work, I'm not, nothing's impossible, but if you're specialized is better. Like, so your PR perfect, you know, perfect pitch is about, you know, how to talk, how to pitch, you know, journalists. And then we can talk about that so we can be on topic here, but I know you're talking to me about other things. But that's a really great idea because that is a real need that people have. You've identified sort of who your audience is. You've identified the kinds of guests that you're going to want to talk to. And that is going to be a really valuable podcast. It's focused. A lot of times people approach me and they just, they don't have that kind of focus. They just know they want to interview people. And I'm like, I like good stories. And I'm like, can't just be good stories. You really should. I yeah. think the, the exercise is to really be able to distill your podcast into a 15 to 20 word pitch. You know, what is your pitch? If you're telling people, somebody sits down next to you in a, in a, on an airplane back in the day when people used to fly in airplanes and says, so what's your you podcast just had about? A thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's, you know, the elevator yeah. page. So what is your podcast about? Be able to really distill it in a very short and concise thing. And I think that is very helpful when you're thinking about podcasting and how to get into it and whether you yeah. should do it at all. Yeah, no, I agree. And the marketer and brander in me is also like, you can record all the content that you want. You've got to get people to listen. So you need to know how in some way that you're going to get this podcast distributed, which was exactly why I wanted to call you. I knew the idea that I had about having a podcast. I knew that there were a lot of PR people who would need to listen, especially the up and comers who, you know, might be a little shy when it comes to like, well, should I pitch this person this way? Should I call them? Should I email them? Well, why don't you listen to them right here? Hear what they really have to say. It will help build your confidence uh, by just hearing their preferences. But I had no clue 
how to figure out how I was going to distribute the darn thing, you know, and I knew branding needed to be a part of it. So it needed some sort of logo. And, you know, you even gave me the idea of having like a pre podcast little song. So that little, you know, thing that we hook. have ahead of, yeah, well, I feel exactly. like that kind of makes like, it. Oh, this is yeah. super fun. Yeah. But and that's the benefit think- of working with a professional. Well, yeah. And again, I taught myself that and that what came out of listening to a lot of podcasts and seeing what works. And also I know you and I sort of felt like it should have like your vibe and your kind of upbeat, you know, positive vibe. And that just reflects who you are. That's right. Yeah. Because I also know how crazy busy I am. So for those of you who do want to start a podcast, once you start and people want to see this content, it's not a bad idea to to can some of this stuff and get it ready so that in a weekly drop, right? It's like, all right, we're dropping a new episode every Friday. We all know that you're halfway thinking about work and you're halfway out the door. So on Friday, here you go. Here's a little bit of something to to teach you. So that's kind of what we're thinking is just having it like a fun Friday kind of thing. But I want to record a good eight to 10 of them so that I don't have to stress in my busy day or busy life to think about, oh my gosh, I have to do this live. This needs to be live. I need to do this tomorrow. You know, I'm also working with journalists like you who are, things pop up, you know, there could be a hot deadline where if we were only doing this live, you know, forget it, then we'd be without content that day. So I think that to me, no, I think you're really, yeah, this is our top 10 first episodes out. You are in it. And I think that's really wise. And it is advice that I give to most of my clients. They don't really do news-based. You know, if you're doing like a news-based podcast, that's a whole different thing. But that's also just know that that is very time-consuming and very hard to pull off. And you really need to have a lot of free time. But the better goal is to do sort of evergreen topics that are relevant, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily time to like, you know, this has to come out on Christmas Day. And although, by the way, never release a podcast on Christmas Day. I did that once and like five people listened to it. But, (laughs) you know, the idea like to stockpile and can a bunch of podcasts, have them ready to go. I always like to like start the the general release, like when you first premiere your podcast, to have at least three that are able to be downloaded because I feel like there's something weird about looking at a podcast and they've recorded one episode. You know, I mean, you definitely want to have. And if people like it, that's a good idea. Right. So the first three drop at the, the same time. The first three, time, yeah. Right? We're going to drop have... the first three. Ooh, yeah. We're I doing like the it. sort okay. of HBO. Um, well, I actually, it's more than, it's like a hybrid of Netflix, HBO. We're doing a kind of Netflix so they can binge a little bit, right? So they yeah. should really be able to listen to the first three. So you just have a little bit, plus your trailer. I always have our talent record trailers because it just kind of gives people a little taste of what's coming. And yeah, and then just have three ready to go. And then you're ready to go. And the other thing to know is that the first few weeks of a podcast are actually very important for the algorithm of the podcast because Apple iTunes does this thing where they do new and noteworthy. If you can get a new and noteworthy on Apple iTunes, it's a really nice perk for your podcast because you show up on their homepage and a lot of people will surface. It surfaces your podcast. And the way the algorithm works is it kind of looks at your podcast for the first like month or so and sees how many people are listening, but also how many people are commenting and how many people are giving it ratings. And so I always encourage people like that, that first month, like do some serious PR, definitely get your friends to write nice comments about it, mm-hmm. get some ratings because out the algorithm is, is noticing that. And we have had some successes where like, you know, a company has kind of like put a little effort into that first few months, the first month, and then, you know, do show up on the new and noteworthy. I, my personal podcast, I showed up on the new and noteworthy and it was just all myself, like calling my friends and being like, please just rate me. Um, please rate me, please. Yeah, please yeah, rate me, rate me. It. 
a little insider tip. It's good to kind of start with a bang with podcasts. And this is so cliche, but it is true. Like it is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. I think people get a little <laughs> discouraged when they don't like have a lot of success right away, but it takes time for people to discover. It takes time for people to, to regularly go to your podcast. It just, these things mm-hmm. take time. And the numbers, you know, that you get of listeners are so much higher quality than what you would get like on a video. People who listen to podcasts, like listen to like 80% of the podcast. They're like, they're there. They like devote time as opposed Mm -hmm. to a video where, as we all know, we watch a video for three seconds and we click out, but that counts as a view. And it's like, I didn't really watch that video. Podcasts have really loyal listeners. People like to listen to podcasts. So if you can hook a person, even if it's like you have a hundred listeners, but they're listening to 80% of your podcast, that's a good that's number. That's a committed audience. Yeah. That's a committed yeah, audience absolutely. that will evangelize and and really do things for you. I love that's it. my little spiel and, about podcasts. I love it only because it is something that I hear so many people wanting to get into. I'm glad I've gotten into it. This gives me an opportunity to, you know, just chit chat with some of the people that I do work with all the time but on a different level, right? I work with media, but usually we're talking about the my client's story or whatever it is, but really being able to just sit and talk about their world, especially in PR, we wouldn't exist without the media. PR I know, people, it's a love-hate relationship. Media. I always used to say that. I know. It's a love-hate, you know, although I, as I get older, I'm much more of a love than a hate. I think when I was a young kid, yeah. I was like, publicists are so annoying. But actually really... <laughs> couldn't do my job without publicists, you know, without them telling me what's going on. So it's definitely necessary. And we can talk about why I sometimes hated publicists, but I've never really hated anyone. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Well, I mean, mean, you're the opposite of what the kind of publicist that I don't like does. I, as a green entrepreneur editor, I mean, I could just show you my inbox. It's crazy how many emails I get a day. I just somehow got on lists. You can imagine every cannabis company in the world wants us to write about them. And there's a lot of cannabis companies and the ones that have the money to, to hire a publicist, and there's a lot of them. Even worse with cannabis is there's so many restrictions on advertising and social media that they really are much more dependent on the media and the press than a lot of other right. industries. Like you can't just do a, a Google AdWords ad. You can't just do a huge Instagram campaign on a, a lot of cannabis products. You know, you'll get taken down. So anyway, they like the press. That's lovely, but I'm inundated with email pitches all day long. They stress me out. Right. I've actually now sort of figured out a way to, to weed through them, so to speak. I, by the way, there'll be a lot of cannabis <laughs> puns today. How do I weed <laughs> through? Thank you. Through that. <laughs> yes. I love it. You know, one of the things that always surprises me is that I can always tell when somebody's pitching me and they've sent the same pitch to like 100 people. I mean, it's obvious. You know, I can just see yeah. it's, it's a formatted thing. Sometimes my name is in there. Sometimes it's not even in there. It's like, dear editor. It's a box. Yeah. Dear editor, or dear like, fill in the blank. Would you be interested? Yeah. And honestly, I would say 99% of the times I just delete those emails. I don't even read past the dear editor because my feeling is like, if you didn't take the time to like get to know my publication and what I'm interested in, then why should I take the time to like Delete. read your things. So I do delete those. Sorry. I just do because I just don't have time. If I have a thousand emails, I have to like mind my mental health. Then there are the publicists who have actually like established a personal relationship with me. I know you're really good at that, even though we've never, well, we, I know we have worked on some stories together outside of our professional, outside of our, you've definitely pitched me some entrepreneur stories and you were very specific Mm -hmm. about like, this is what the story is. This is who the person is. I think this would be good for this publication. So I have some relationships with publicists who I know that they're never going to pitch me anything unless they are really think that I'm going to 
going to write it or right. would be really seriously interested and know kind of what I'm looking for. So those are the ones I always open. And it's like, I, I know their name. So I see them pop up my thing. And I'm like going to probably open those emails. You know, those are the people I've established relationship with. But then there's people who are new to the business or don't, you know, haven't worked with me before. And as long as it's kind of like has a little bit of a personal flavor and I can tell that somebody has actually read the website, you know, the worst thing, like somebody today sent me, well, can you send me a sample? Because I said, you know, this is not really the kind of a story that we do. And they wrote back like, uh, can you send me an example of the kinds of stories that you're looking for? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do No, they for didn't. Yes, that happens all Jonathan, the time. Jonathan, no. You have no idea what publicists do. I'm like, well, why don't you look at my freaking website? I mean, it's like a send you an example. Yeah, I'm going to go back and here's the kinds of stories I want. I mean, it's just that attitude is so, I know it's shocking. That happened today. So, I mean, that's just today's. So those are the kind of publicists that I don't get mad anymore, but I'm just kind of like deleted, <laughs> you know, like I don't even respond because it's just not worth my time. If I have to explain that to you, but it really, it always has amazed me. It's, this has been true from the time I was back in magazines in the 90s that I would get pitches. You know, we used to get poetry pitches at Maxim. We used to just laugh. Like, has anybody like ever no. the magazine? Yeah, like poetry for Maxim. Like, we're going to be like, you know, we don't really print poetry, but your poem was so good that we're so going to print it. So good. Yeah, that we're going to create a whole new page in our magazine. No, like, look at the magazine. Look at the sections of the magazine. Where would this go? Find out who's the editor of that section. Like, do a little work. <laughs> It's really not that hard to do that extra work. In the end, I feel like it's worth it. Now, I've never been a publicist and I know you're under a lot of pressure. You know, you might have some clients that they just don't have the greatest story and you're trying to kind of hit as many outlets as you can to hopefully get a bite. But I don't know. I just don't think that ever works. And I get a yeah. lot of these uh, resurfacing this email to the top of your chain, John, and, you know, just wanting to I get a lot of those. Honestly, if I didn't like it, it probably didn't need you to resurface it to the top of my chance. And then that's just more emails that I have to read, especially if I don't get back to you after five emails, it probably means that I'm not interested in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just be specific to say, hey, look like you've been writing these articles. How about this article? I mean, it's tricky now with Green Entrepreneur. I got to be honest with you. And I, if anybody's listening and wants to pitch us, you know, I don't write that many. I write maybe one story every four weeks for Entrepreneur at this point. I don't have time to write articles. So I really kind of rely on our okay. freelancers to write articles. So I'm not even the right person to pitch, but I'll often tell them that or tell them, hey, if you want this article written, maybe do a byline yourself and submit it. Or have a journalist do a byline and submit it this way, you know, and I can send you my reader, my our writer's guidelines. So I, I kind of direct people in the right way. I don't want to totally mislead them that I'm like sitting around waiting for stories to be written because I just don't. I'm a kind of a one man show. On I'm the only full time employee at Green Entrepreneur. Let's put it that way. And these are all good things to know. I mean, first of all, I have no words for the person who had to be junior and had to be someone who doesn't have a mentor at whatever firm that they're at to actually give them a good kick in the pants when it comes to doing the work. You said that word and it just hit me. Everyone I feel nowadays is trying to find the shortcut. They're trying to cut corners. They're trying to just, okay, I need to turn this out. And it's a volume thing rather than a quality thing. And I just being in the business for, you know, over 20 years, you know, one of the reasons why I love my job is because I do get to become really good friends with journalists. And then my job becomes easy because I can send you a quick email or a text and be like, Hey, I have a story idea and a client that may be of interest. I'm going to, and then I think about it. I think about it from Jonathan's world. And I think about like, you know what? I read a couple of the things that green entrepreneur just did. 
this ties back to that. It might be a stretch, but I feel like I can be myself. And what happens is people want to get to the point to where they're closing stories, but they don't want to put in the time that it takes to get to know Jonathan, to get to know the publication, to do the reading because they think, oh, it's wasted time. It's called paying it forward. It's called Mm -hmm. doing your homework ahead of time so that your life and your job does become easier afterwards because now Jonathan trusts you. You made it into the VIP pile of email, you know, just right. when the stacks You're of not in the slush in, pile. You're like, in the opposite oh, of the slush pile. And honestly, right. once and, you have that relationship, it's for life. Like once I have a good yeah. experience with you, like I'm going to trust you now for the rest of my working life. Mm-hmm. And I can't say the same for people who have like done me wrong or just pissed me off in some way. Right. Um, so, you know, not that I blacklist anybody. I mean, I don't, I don't even have the memory to remember who, you know, might have not liked, right. but, but still like I, I remember the good ones. So And those relationships last for years. Like you said, like I'm sure you've known certain journalists for years and they go to different jobs. So you don't want to burn those bridges, right? I mean, those are great relationships to have. And like I said, I have my, in the cannabis industry over the now the last two or three years of doing this, I have my publicists that I know are always going to get me quality stuff that I know I can, if I need a quote, I can always, you know, text them or email them and be like, hey, could you help me out? And I know that they're going to be like, like fast and get me something good and know exactly what I'm looking for. So it seems like obvious. And then people will ask me, well, how come, how come you wrote about that product, but you didn't write about mine? It's like, well, because that person did the work and really like made themselves, <laughs> yeah. put them in front of mind in my mind, you know? So, but again, I like publicists. They are important to me. I don't have the time sometimes to just like research the entire industry and know every single new thing that's coming out. Now, I know that there are certain publications that have huge staffs and they don't need publicists as much. You know, the New York Times might be that way. I don't know. You know, some of the stories just come out of the newsroom. And I unfortunately do not have that luxury. I really do need to rely on publicists and other journalists and stuff to tell me what's going on because I just can't do it all myself. So it's a necessary job. It's a necessary job for sure. Yeah. And um, I think at the same time for PR, for, for us, I just I can't emphasize enough that it's the friendships that make this all fun and worth it because we are under a lot of stress. You know, you have clients in our ear who think they know how the media work, right? They Mm -hmm. see their competitors and they think that they know how their competitor got into your magazine or into the New York times. They have no idea. It's a lot of coaching them on their own expectations. And I think that as PR people, we need to look at our jobs as more strategic than, I don't want to say like robotic or whatever, but like, you know, I have a brand new client who, you know, they had two announcements prior to the one they had today. And, you know, I'd love your opinion on, on whether or not this is like the right, whatever, uh, the right approach. But, you know, the first two announcements they had were very light. One was they won an award. People aren't going to cover the fact that you won an award. They don't care. And then it was, oh, we hired a C-level person and that person is great, but what exactly are you doing? It That's sounds like you're just baseball. building the company, right? Yeah. It wasn't for the fact that they trusted my recommendation. You know, they were like, oh, we should we should send this to the media to tell them we won this award. And I'm like, slow down. <laughs> yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it on the wire and make it real, but we're not pitching it. I refuse to pitch any of my media friends your award win. And I refuse to pitch any of them this new C-level hire because no one cares. It's a people on the move kind of thing. And if you want that, you're going to have to just sponsor content there and whatever. 
and they listened. And they said, now, when you do this third one, because it's a story about something you actually did with a client, here's the one that you actually take to the media. And we took it to a couple of our friends and, you know, to one of your points, one of the things that we'll do, we'll start with a short list of like 60, 70 media, not 107,000, whatever it is. And we will literally over a couple of weeks, pre-pitch and Mm. make sure that we're reading three articles minimum before we decide, yes, this is the person. Then we go to them and we will tie it back. And one of the things that we'll put in the subject line and let me know, you know, if you agree, but we'll put early news or embargoed news Mm -hmm. so that it stands out so that, you know, you have some time and then we'll put a little bit of the headline and then the date at the end, meaning like it's embargoed till this date. So if you have any tips and I feel like for this first announcement, we got some good pickup. We got a handful of declines and I'm happy to even get a decline. What that means is they, Let me listen. they like yeah. the subject line enough and they it thought, also means they like okay, you, but yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always think when somebody embargoes, yeah, it means like it's going to be something sort of breaking, you know, I like a little tease of like, this might be something, you know, I'm always wondering, is it going to be an exclusive if it's embargoed, like, you know, or is it going to be, is it just that you're just holding this news because you don't want to me, like if everybody writes about the same thing on the same day, it's kind of like, doesn't have a whole lot of value for me. So like if there was going to be an embargoed story, I'd want to know like, well, what can I get out of this story that might make it stand out? Like maybe we can do a podcast interview with the person that you're going to talk about, or maybe there's like some little extra bonus thing that you can give me. And it's just something to think about. So I think the embargo trick, I mean, it's not really a trick, but I, I have, been curious, especially when somebody intrigues me, you know, with a headline. I mean, all we do all day at entrepreneurs think about how to write headlines that people are going to want to click on. So, you know, a little mystery, we found out that the mystery headlines do really well, where you have to actually read this, <laughs> not the trick editors, but you have to read, you have to read the uh, story to find out what it's going to um, be. The other thing that really appeals to us these days is coming at it from a negative angle. So instead of like five mm. things, every entrepreneur wants to do, we like to do five things that entrepreneurs shouldn't do or, you know, do a slightly negative spin on something. There was just one that did really well for us that was something like, here's why you're beating yourself up and you shouldn't or something like that. Or this is the one industry that has survived COVID and you will be surprised to find out or something like that, where it's kind of like uh, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of um, those work. Mystery and slightly like come at it from a negative and negative is almost the wrong word, but like what not to do. People funnily like to sort of beat themselves up a little bit and, and like to like read yeah. stuff or like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. Okay. I need to fix this. You know, I don't think people always like to hear like, here are the five things that all successful people do is they want to hear the five things that successful people don't do. I don't know yeah. why, but those stories <laughs> don't do better for us. I don't know if it's human nature, but those that don't do wow. stories do better for us. So something to think about. That's my little magic tip for the day. Now that could change in two Ooh, weeks, but I like that, right though. now- that is definitely something that we're looking at. Yeah. And I think, you know, people who are getting into entrepreneurship, they are, they're cautious, yep. right? They're very cautious, but also they want to know how to make money and they want to know how to make it quickly. So that's another type of story that we like to write, um, run because those stories do well for us. Like anything where it's like, this person made $50,000 in four weeks, you know, how did they do it? You know, that kind of thing. 
worth maybe fifty thousand dollars in one week sounds better. <laughs> Four weeks is good, but or like the week. the WeWork story, the this person yeah. you know ran through seventy four billion in a matter yes. of six people weeks. Love Here's people love a failure. People love a failure. Yeah, he, people love a failure story. Another thing to do yeah. is like you know look at the magazine you're running. Look at the types of stories they run a lot. At uh, Entrepreneur, we run a lot of stories. Entrepreneur proper, and I work a lot for Entrepreneur proper, not just for Great Entrepreneur. I help out with Entrepreneur as well. And they do a lot of stories on Elon Musk. And there's a reason for it because all the stories on Elon Musk do really, really, really well. So if you were a publicist and you found out, you know, five things that our companies learned from Elon Musk, whatever, like you tied it into Elon Musk or some some sort of news of the day that people are kind of curious about. I think that's also really a good approach. Like find things that people are talking about now. You know, maybe it's infrastructure. I don't know whatever is like in the news right now. I don't know when this is going to run. So We'll just pretend NFTs. like, yeah, <laughs> NFTs are huge, you know, try yeah. to like do a relevant topic and try to figure out a way. I mean, I just got a pitch today that I thought was a pretty good pitch, which was here are the 20 best cities to get stoned. And I was like, that's kind of funny. Hey, that's kind of fun. It's an easy, and that's such an easy story for me to run because, you know, it was a study that they did. I mean, it's a smart idea. Like, like this company did a study. Yeah. They came up with their statistics in a certain way, which is not particularly scientific, but it was just a fun, and honestly, it was a, it's a lawn care company. It's not even a, a weed company. It's like a lawn care company, but they just thought it would be a fun story to do to get them some publicity. So I'm going to run that story because 20, cool. I mean, who's not going to read that story? <laughs> lists yeah, are great. I'm like, I would even read that. I'd right, lists clear, are great. Like, lists did my good. city end up there? Yeah. Yeah, lists and studies. I mean, I think we all know that journalists love a good study, especially if there's some surprising yeah. outcome. So those are kind of low-hanging fruit for sure. I love the study idea. And I feel like companies don't want to take the time anymore to invest in those studies even being done. They're thinking about their news and, oh, well, what about our product? Well, why not tie your product into some sort of study so that you show that there's a, it's a necessity, that there's a need there, whatever it is. But I remember back in the day, I'm like back in the day doing PR, the whole study thing used to be. We do one once a quarter, at least with a client. And that's when infographics were, you know, were becoming a thing like, let's make an infographic out of it. Yeah. You know what? Now that I think about it, I feel like clients are, yeah, that's such a good idea. And controversy and and problems that they're solving. People love, we love stories, solve a problem, right? That's the entrepreneurial mantra. And of course we're talking about Mm -hmm. entrepreneur magazine here. So you know, what problem is your company solving? Okay. So yeah, they hired a new guy, but what problem did that solve? And how is that, you know, what's the, what is the overall problem in the industry that they're solving? You know, maybe they don't want to talk about their personal problems within their company, but is there a sort of something about their industry that is struggling or having some sort of needs a, a realignment and this hire is going to help them kind of tackle that problem? Or is there some new, so, you know, just think of what is the controversy and what is the answer here? What are the struggles and, you know, rags to riches stories always do really well. So maybe that person you hired, do a little deeper dive into that new person you hired. Maybe like I loved somebody pitched me once, like what this CEO learned from working at six years at Chipotle that he's going to bring to the cannabis industry. And I like that because it's like, oh, so oh, what did a mainstream, that's awesome. like what did a mainstream company teach this guy that he's now going to like put into cannabis? That was like an interesting story angle for me. So, you yeah. know, it's there. You just have to do a little deeper. It's The story is not the new hire. I get so many pitches a day about uh, series rounds. Oh my God, people love to pitch me. Oh, they just raised $5 million. Think about it. 
who gives a shit? And if anything, you hate reading. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> what are they Nobody, doing with the money? Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to read about how great your company is because they just re- raised five million dollars. Put that on your social media. It's fine. You know, like you right. can put it out there. <laughs> But like nobody wants to read that story unless it's about some trend. Like, you know, by the way, all these companies in that space are raising money and what's going on here, you know? But I hate series round raises. Oh, they just raised a 5 million series B or mergers. I'm like, oh, like I care about mergers. I don't care about mergers. (laughs) But the thing is, if they actually read Entrepreneur, they'd see that that content is not what you're producing. We would never you know, do like a story there on are a right. There are very specific M and A or you know right. fintech whatever it is outlets that will cover that. Don't assume yes. because the name of the magazine says entrepreneur exactly. that they are going to give a crap yes. about and your I series. Should, yes, there are B two B publications that will pub that do mergers, yeah. and that's kind of like their bread and butter. That is not entrepreneur, and yeah, it's just amazing yeah. how many people. So. That pitch, for example, that should go to like Green Market Report and some of the companies that, and some of the, and, but don't put me on your mass email list and then be like, why are you not covering the new merger? And then say, hey, just bumping this up to the top of your email chain, wondered if you saw about the merger. And I'm like, we don't do mergers. Have you ever seen a merger story I'd be like, in your life? Literally, it's like, <laughs> I, I want to write that, about but then my I'm just website. like, <laughs> yeah, I will. Sometimes I want to write that back, but then I'm just like, I don't, why I take the time? I don't want like some junior publicist crying and, why did he so right. mean to me? <laughs> that Jonathan the millennial. <laughs> right. He's mean. He was so yeah. mean. No. Then all of a sudden you're canceled. Jonathan yeah, I don't want to be canceled. Canceled. God no. Yeah. Look at the sun suddenly shining on my face. Looks, I look like a does it look okay? It's like a no, it looks it Rembrandt looks beautiful. Painting. Okay. Actually, it's it's very bright blue. It's it's very pretty coming out okay. from the side all right. there. Well that's good. But I, I just to... I wanna be yeah, no, no, no. It's you look and it's it's shimmering off your glasses just right. <laughs> there we go. For those listening, um, they're like, what is I know, right? Well, you'll have to catch it on YouTube to see the yes. the beautiful blue glimmer shimmering off of uh, Jonathan's eyeglasses. But you know, I want to be mindful of time. I could talk to you for hours. I have I talked to you for hours. I literally I think we have sat at a Starbucks and talked for like three sometimes like four hours at a time. Like you are one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, But I want to also be mindful of your very busy schedule. If there was one thing, one thing that you want PRP to stop doing forever, other than giving you, (laughs) pitching you about, um, you know, M&As and fundraising, you know, if you can really sum up, okay, in all of the years I've been in journalism, Please stop doing this. What yeah. is it? I should look at my email right now. I just think, please stop sending me a cut and paste email. I mean, I can see right now there's probably five emails in here that are cut and paste. I can just tell. Yeah. You know, please be a little bit thoughtful before you press send and send me an email that you think of a story that you think I might generally be interested in. It's not a numbers game, you know, it's a quality yeah. over quantity. And it's not like, oh, I sent 500 pitches today. Why have I not heard back from any of them? You know, I still get emails about coffee because I wrote one coffee story four years ago oh. for Entrepreneur. Now everybody seems to think I'm the coffee journalist. I don't know. Oh, Again, I that know isn't your, your It's not beat. my beat. It's not the my beat. I'm not a coffee beat? guy. I wrote one story about coffee and now I get so many coffee pitches. And I'm like, oh, I guess people think I'm a coffee writer. I must have gotten on some sort of 
mass list of like, this is your coffee guy. But yeah, no. Well, if people would look at the year. Yeah. If they'd look at the year that you wrote that and see that it's outdated, you wrote that in 2017, that does not apply. It does not apply. And, And you might, you know, all you have to do is like one quick search of my name on Google. And the first thing that's going to come up is like kind of where I am now and what I write about. So, you know, again, do a little research, but no more mass emails, no mass blast. It just doesn't work. And at least it doesn't work for me. Maybe it works for some journalists. I haven't met any. I mean, my, all the journalist friends I know are like, oh my God, I want to kill my people. My, I want to, my email makes me want to cry every day, you know, because yep. I don't want to miss well, this something. Is- I don't want to miss yep. it. I'm also, the reason I read my emails is because I don't want to miss like a great pitch, but you're clouding up my email box. I'm looking at this. Sometimes people will send me the same email to different email addresses. And now I see the same by. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So I know then. Yeah. Anyway. Well, another thing is, and this probably just is part of sending a mass email, but like the kind of thing I get a lot of green entrepreneurs, like cannabis is the biggest business in the world. You know, it's, it's going to make $25 billion by as if I don't know, I run a cannabis magazine. I don't <laughs> yeah. understand that the industry is like a booming industry. Like I need you to, I can see if you're pitching that to like a company that never writes about cannabis. And so they want to like a little context, but everybody always thinks that they have to like set up the context for me. But you know, again, it just goes to know who you're pitching. Like I know the cannabis is a big business. I work at a cannabis magazine. Just pitch me what the idea is. Like don't do all the preamble. Yeah. Have you heard about the new thing CBD? Everybody's doing it. And like, Oh, really? I had no idea that CBD was a big industry. Thank you. Sorry, I'm being mean now. It's the end of the day. (laughs) I love it. But (laughs) But you know what I mean? I get that. That's the whole point. I want people to listen and understand that you are pitching a human being. Right, like I'm a person. You're you're (laughs) pitching a person and you are contributing to the clutter by not pushing back on your manager or whoever is giving you direction to send a blast blindly because you were assigned a list. Stop it. Vet it. Do the homework. Take the time. It drives me crazy only because here, I'll put this out there too to anyone, you know, well, I I can't do that in eight hours. Have you ever studied outside of class? Right. Yeah, of course. In college, did you learn everything you needed to do learn by just sitting in the class and not studying for yourself outside of that. Right. I just put it that way where for me, when I was working for, you know, for other companies, it was like, okay, eight to five, I'm here to answer emails. I'm here to be part of the team, participate in brainstorms. When I'm at home, I'm going to actually set two or three hours aside for me to pre-research the people I know I'm eventually going to have to pitch next week. Why? Right. So I don't look like i I'm sending them a blast. I actually want to pitch Jonathan as Jonathan, not Jonathan as entrepreneur. And I'm guessing what you do. So That's great advice. Do the homework outside, do the of, homework. outside of class. It pays off. I mean, it, I'm not saying yeah. you have to research every single person that you ever pitch, but I mean, find the journalists that you like, get to know them a little yeah. bit better and they can make, everybody makes everybody happy because honestly, if you send me good story ideas, it just makes my life so much easier. I'm happy they sent me the 20 places to get stoned. It's just, it's an it's copy that I That's can use funny. that I think will get clicks on, you know? Yeah, So totally. Anyway. Anyway, well, this was awesome. Jonathan, Good. before we head out, is there anything, I mean, 
Uh, if you want to sort of spell out Strike Fire Productions, where people can find you, um, if they need help yeah. with their I mean, podcasts, I'm on all the I'm on all the social media platforms. Part of the problem with working in 2020. One, is that where we are? Uh, is that, you know, I don't do one thing anymore. So I don't even know what web address to give. Maybe that's part of my, I should just have one web address that has everything. So if you want to find about about me and about my podcast right about now, I always advise people to go to writeaboutnowmedia.com. And that's a little bit about me and about my podcast right about now, which I think you'll really like as a publicist, especially if you're a publicist for writers. But if you're interested in finding out about my podcasting services, I am at strikefireproductions.com. And happy to answer love any it. questions. I love talking to people about podcasts and about writing. I like, I'm not the kind of person I will get back to you if, again, after having said, don't write me mass emails. If you, get, <laughs> if you send me a personal email asking me, I will definitely talk to you. I just don't like being, I love it. I don't like being email blasted. Email me as a human. Yes. Yeah, no, person. thank you. Sure. I'm a human being. I'm a human being. Sake. Right. What is that from the <laughs> elephant man? I am not an oh elephant. Oh got it, right? <laughs> um well that's a daily reference oh my gosh that. i could talk to you forever <laughs> and, um and by the way can i do a plug same. for your book such a good book sure. beverly, hills, beverly hills boss nicole wrote a really good book such a good inspiration for i mean she's really a rags to riches i wouldn't say rags but you are definitely somebody who is completely self-made you know you didn't ever have anything handed to you you just did it on your own hard work old-fashioned way and it's really yeah. paid off and I think it's it's a great inspiration for people. I highly recommend Aww. your book. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. You're a great inspiration for me and a uh, you know, great partner in crime. So I, I couldn't have done it without you. It wouldn't have turned out the way it did without you. And I, I do pay homage to, to that. And I look forward to working with you again on book number two. Yeah, um, so stay it. tuned for that, everyone. Yes. Jonathan, thank you so much for this great thank discussion. You, As always, I have so much fun with you. And for those of you who stuck around and listened to this fun party that we just had here together, um, I, I really appreciate the time that you spend listening to Perfect Pitch. I hope that you've taken some really, really good nuggets away. If you haven't subscribed already, please do on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching live on YouTube, click the subscribe button below. You know where to find it. And for more information on Perfect Pitch or NRPR Group, please visit www.nrprgroup.com. Until next time, thank you so much for joining me on Perfect Pitch, and we will see you again later. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, NRPR Group's YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Perfect Pitch and NRPR Group, please head over to our website at www.nrprgroup.com. 